0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Hope you got a set of the notes. Um, I want to ask you to do me a favor before we pray. Um, Turn over your note sheet or whatever it is you're taking notes on to something blank, okay? And um, I'm going to have you write something down here in a minute. But let me begin with a word of prayer and then we'll get on with this exercise. Father, thank you again for allowing us to draw breath today. Another indication, if we believe your word in Psalm 139, that there is another day that you intend for us to live for your glory, the service of others, and finally our joy. So I pray that we'd start this day with an attitude of hearing from you that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word and that when we lay our heads down tonight, we will be able to look back and say that we have loved you and served others, that we have preached well with our lives through our labor and endeavors and through our love and service. So again, thank you for this time. Thank you for these men, the sacrifice of of their time to come to this place. And we ask your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna ask you to do something for me real quick. Um, go to the bottom of whatever sheet of paper you're using and write the following word, position. Okay, just write that word, position. And um, so at the bottom of the page and then skip up a little bit, okay? So go up the page a little bit, maybe an inch or so and write this word, permission. Some of you already have heard this but stick with me here for a minute because we'll come back to this. So you've got position at the bottom, Then you're gonna go up about an inch or so and write permission. Then you're gonna go up about an inch or so and write the word production. So you write the word production. Okay, so you've got position. You're up a little bit, you have permission. You're up a little bit, you have production. Now go up a little bit more and write people development. People development. People development development. So on your sheet of paper, you should have starting at the bottom, position, permission, production, and then people development. I'll give credit where credit is due a little bit later on, but keep your page turned over. And then I want you to write one more thing. I I, I know I sound like you're going to be tested on this, but um, I want you to write the name of three people, write the names of three people you interacted with yesterday. Doesn't matter who they are. Um, but write the names of three people you interacted with yesterday. Me, myself, and I do not count. That was not an interaction, that was a nightmare. So anyways, just me, myself, and I doesn't count. Three people you interacted with yesterday, okay? Got it? Now, somewhere else on that side of the piece of paper, write the names of three people you know you'll interact with today and don't copy the previous three, hopefully. Yeah, Dean, I know you. <clears throat> okay, great. Now let's get started. Uh, years ago, uh, there was a guy named J. Oswald Sanders. I've recommended this book before. He wrote this book called Spiritual Leadership, Principles for Excellence for Every Believer, Spiritual Leadership. If you don't have a copy of this book, you need to find a copy of it. Um, it's a fantastic read on leadership. Uh, Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders. He said the following, A lot of people have heard John Maxwell say this, but he's not the guy who said it first. As far as I know, J. Oswald Sanders said it first, but he says, leadership is influence, plain and simple. Leadership is influence, plain and simple. You are always influencing someone. And J. Oswald Sanders said this years and years ago. The reason I had you write the names of six people is because some of you in this room do not believe that you're a leader. You you operate under the premise that you don't have leadership gifts. You operate under the premise that you don't have a position. We'll come back to that a little bit later. That is a position of leadership. So you're, you're already thinking wrongly about what leadership is. As we go through this passage in Mark chapter 10 and begin to unpack it, what I hope you'll see is your life is influencing someone. And every one of you, to the best of my knowledge, wrote down the lives of six people who you lead. Let me say that a different way. Every one of you wrote down the names of six people you will have led whether you know it or not. Every one of you wrote the names down of six people who they will be influenced by what you say or by what you do. It should be humbling and sobering. The reality that the six people you have written on the other side of your sheet of paper were led by you yesterday and can be led by you today. So the way that I said goodbye to my spouse this morning was a leadership effort. The way I communicate with people at work today is a leadership effort, humbling, sobering, fearful. The way I interact with the person I have gotten to know at the grocery store and I check out with each time, who knows my name, if that's even possible in this culture, I lead. The customer you sit across the desk from or you meet in the field and you make a deal with who you don't plan on seeing again as long as you're able to make the deal, you lead. It is not you have an acquaintance with, you lead. And if you believe what the scriptures say about you, about the Holy Spirit working in you and through you, then you must understand as a follower of Jesus that in the moment that you interact with people, there is a spiritual dynamic taking place of leadership that you may not even have intentionally met, but you're aware of that allows the spirit to work through what you say and what you do. And we'll see that in a moment what the Apostle Paul says. You have led, you will lead. There is no such thing as a leaderless life. You are a leader. And that's not a motivational speech. I hope more than anything, if you're anything like me, that makes you kind of want to hide sometimes. Because there are days I don't want to lead. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I want to hang a sign around me. So when I go to the grocery store, I say, pay no attention. Anybody want to do that? Pay no attention to this human being. He intends not to offend or lead today. Just ignore. And, but that's not possible. I can't do that anymore. Any more than I can just, well, I just can't check out. So I hope you understand as I begin to pour in to these notes with you, you are leading. Every word, every action, it is, I, I again, I say this many, many times, I wish I'd known this when I stepped into the business world a long time ago, and rather than competing for business, I did business in service to others for the glory of Christ, See, my Christianity was a compartment in my life. No one taught me that it was the core of my life and how I worked was leadership. See, I was trying to earn leadership to run a particular show rather than seeing what God was doing in my life to establish leadership to change lives. Why do you work? What's driving you? What's pushing you? What's defining you? What's animating you? Do you see every opportunity that God puts you in front of a customer? Every opportunity that God puts you on a plane and puts you in a different environment in front of people? The influence. Remember, you wrote down the names of six people. Now think about, and this is the corny example we use all the time, but it's true. Think about every interaction that you have today and how that spreads to the six people they touch and the six people they touch and the six people they touch. To your son or daughter that you are raising in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, whether they're grown or young. And you send them off to school. What leadership are they passing on they have seen in your leadership? Don't tell me you're not a leader. Because if you say you're not a leader, then you are hung up on the position of leadership and not the life of leadership. Let's go to Mark chapter 10 in the copy of the scriptures. I want to apologize that uh, I will not be with you next week. Um, I made a statement to some people long, not long ago that I wish I hadn't made. I said, you do not have the right to complain about something unless when invited to fix it, you participate. And I've shot my mouth off at about a particular national effort for a number of years now and uh, got a phone call and uh, said I wasn't interested and the person asked me, then what right do you have to say what you say about complaint? So I have to get on a plane Monday and uh go participate in a conversation that I really don't want to participate in. So I'd appreciate your prayers Wednesday morning. Uh, I'll be there Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And uh, really would appreciate, if you think about it, to say that give Patrick wisdom and help him to keep his mouth shut when he needs to. That would be the bigger prayer that that would happen. Okay, that would, that would really be better. Or yeah, I'll leave it at that. So I'm gonna pick up with Mark the next time we come together. We're supposed to be in chapter nine, 10, 11, and 12. I'm gonna spend all my time in chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. So let's read Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. So James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and they said to him, teacher, uh, we want you to do for us what we ask of you. Fairly bold request, but let's not not be um, quick to judge these guys uh, for their ambition for a position of leadership. Jesus said to them, what, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Again, don't be so hard on them because oftentimes we pray in a way that we want Jesus to exalt us to a position of authority. We do. Now we couch it in different terms because we don't think the Lord can see our heart, but we want him to advance us in different ways. So they're, they're, they're not asking something that we haven't asked as well. So, Jesus said to them, you know, you don't know what you're asking for. And are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be baptized? He's essentially telling them, are you ready to die? Know what you live for, know what you die for. And they said to him, yes, we are. And Jesus said to them, you know, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. That tells us James and John have just been told by Jesus, you will give your lives for me, you just don't know it yet. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when they heard this, they began to be indignant. And and when the 10 heard this, they began to be indignant at James and John. So the other 10 are like, those jerks, how could they be? I wanted that spot, is probably what they're saying. And so Jesus then calls them to himself and he utters these words that really are the basis for everything else we're gonna talk about this morning. Jesus says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, or we would just call it people in charge. So for our context, people who are in charge over people. uh, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over others. And they're great ones, they're quote unquote leaders exercise authority over them. Remember, authority is not necessarily leadership because you can have authority because of a position, but that doesn't mean you've earned the right to lead in a way that people will pay attention and their lives are changed. He goes on to say, but this shall not be so among you, but whoever would be the greatest among you, and that is the word, this word greatest among you is where we get our word prototype. So, Whoever would be the person that is held out as an example. That's what he's saying. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be the greatest among you must be your servant. And he uses the word bond servant, a slave, voluntary enslavement. So he, he uses a very, not someone who has been bought and sold, but someone who has been bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ, who then offers their life freely in servitude to others. So be sure you understand these things. It's not service that is indentured service. It is voluntary service. Jesus is saying, you want to be great, you voluntarily choose to enslave yourself to others. And whoever would be the first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man, this is the key statement, even the Son of Man, referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve. And here it is, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, if you'd go to your notes and we'll come back to the scripture, so keep your Bible open. I have a little quote there for you that came out of a book that's footnoted there for you. a book written by Robert Greenleaf many, many years ago. Not a believer, to the best of my knowledge, at least well, that's not fair. Um, I don't know if he's a believer. But uh, it's not even him speaking, he's saying something else. There is a new problem in our country. This quote was quoted in the first half of the 20th century. I can't give you an exact date. I can only give you the quartile, so to speak. We are becoming a nation dominated by large institutions and these institutions are not serving us well. Now, you can do as I do and stand outside and criticize and bring pressure if you can. You can write and argue about it. But nothing of substance will happen unless there are people inside these institutions who are able to and want to lead them into better performance for the public good. Said by a professor in a college class in the first quarter of the 20th century, every single one of us in this room, if you're working for someone or working in an institution, some large and some small, and the hope of that institution is not for you to point fingers at it or to get outside of it, but to be inside of it as a change agent of leadership, typified, exemplified, by slave-like leadership in service to others. Let's keep going. Next quote. If we really believe that God is running the show, then what, he is trying to, what is he trying to teach us about life and work in such a time as this? Are we getting the message? That is a question I ask of myself. I continue to ask myself, why is Midland, Texas, why is the Permian Basin an epicenter of this country? Why is the activity of the Permian Basin an epicenter of prosperity? Why is it? Is it, is it a surprise to the Lord? I've said this before. This is no surprise to you. I'm not making something up that I haven't said before. Why is he allowing in his sovereign ruling and running of the universe, why is he allowing such a, an influx of people Why do we meet people every Sunday from South Carolina and North Carolina and Indiana and California? I told you the other day I was in church and I met one person from California and another person from Florida, back to back. I'm meeting east to west, we meet north to south. Why is there an influx of people? Why is it so crowded? Do you think the Lord is looking at his creation going, wow, I just did not expect that. That's amazing. Why is that happening? Why is he allowing your influence? Why is he allowing in in a time of historic attendance a petroleum show that's probably gonna be larger than it's been in in a generation? Why is that happening? Why does he allow that? Do you really believe in your definition of the sovereignty and foreknowledge of God that God is surprised by what's happening or does he bless a region in anticipation of those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to utilize the stewardship of the moment for the glory of God? I ask you that question. Who do you influence? Who are you in contact with? Who are you on the phone with? Where where are the tentacles of your leadership? Why are we getting this message? I said it to our congregation a long time ago and I'll say it to you again. I don't know how many times we've cycled through boom and bust, but do we think that God is controlling the show enough to say that busts only occur because we are not good stewards of his opportunity? Or is that just at world economics? Because if you say it's just world economics, you betray your definition of the sovereignty and foreknowledge and plan of God. It is either intentional in the plan of God to leverage influence. And I will argue to you a little bit later on and show you in scripture, I believe he orchestrates times and moments for his people to influence. And we will either fritter it away or capture it in servant leadership in your cubicle, in your office, in your private plane, or in the middle seat of a Southwest Airline plane. The next quote, leadership, power, and influence are always the gift of the Lord, always predicated without exception on readied personal preparation. This gift and responsibility of leadership, power, and influence must always be focused on the glory of God first. Those of you who've been in church at Stonegate the last few weeks recognize this statement. Always focused on the glory of God first, Service and blessing to others second, and joy and benefit to self last. Leadership, power, and influence are always the gift of the Lord, always predicated without exception on readied personal preparation. Let me have you look up a few things with me, okay? Matthew chapter 25, we looked at this last week, I think. Last week seems a lifetime ago sometimes. Matthew chapter 25, verse 15, a reminder, Again, going back to why is this happening in our lifetime, in this moment, in this season? Some of you, this is your second or third time through this? What is God teaching you about this? And what is he trying to remind you to do with this opportunity again? Matthew chapter 25, find your way to verse 15. I'm going to pick up in the middle of, well, the beginning of a long parable, but he says, to one he gave five talents, to another two to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he entrusted them to go away and do something with it. He has entrusted you with opportunities and gifts that he believes you're ready for. Some of you say you want more. Some of you say, I don't want any more. But what are you doing with the talents and gifts he's given you? Let me show you another passage of scripture. This is gonna be a quick one, but you need to find it. First Samuel 1 Samuel, Old Testament, so go to the beginning and flip to the right, that's probably the easiest way to find it, and go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Look at the life of David, very quickly, I'm just what I want to show you is this quote that I've written down for you about leadership, power, and influence, being a gift of the Lord, but always predicated without exception on readied personal preparation, is completely rooted and saturated in the scriptures. And I'm trying to communicate to you is that when no one's watching, we are in preparation, being made ready for the opportunity that God puts in front of us. See, when you labor in obscurity, that's a, that, that is even a false statement. There is no such thing as laboring in obscurity. You can use the word paying your dues, but even in obscurity, take David watching lions and tigers and bears and sheep and all that. As David was not laboring and watching sheep in vain, God was preparing him for Goliath moments. And in your obscurity, he is waiting to see if you're ready for him to place you in an opportunity of leadership. And that opportunity of leadership may last a minute. You understand that? You understand that God might prepare you for one moment of conversation. Remember our phrase, there are no neutral moments. I don't like that statement any better than you but there are no neutral moments. And am I constantly aware of the preparation of the Lord to put me in the presence of somebody that might be in the six I just wrote down to speak something of leadership into their life that leverages the cause of Christ and in the next generation? Or does that young man who works for me walk away and say, following Jesus isn't worth it if it looks like that? But you see in the life of David, just to show you that there was preparation taking place and they were looking for someone to serve Saul in 1 Samuel 16, verse 18. One of the young men, a servant of Saul, answered him and said, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skilled in playing. In other words, skilled in playing the harp. He is a man of valor. And that word for valor means a man of strength. He is capable, he is skillful. He is also a man of war. And what that means is he knows how to fight. That doesn't necessarily mean he's a pugilist, although he's probably pretty good at it. But he knew how to fight. He knew how to engage. It goes on to say he's prudent in his speech, literally well-spoken and uses his words well. Some of you in this room, no matter your age, the Lord is waiting on you to learn how to speak better so he can trust you with someone to speak into. And your excuse is, well, I don't speak very well. That's an excuse and that's bull. Learn to communicate and learn to communicate better and practice communication to your windshield so when the Lord puts you in front of somebody, your words are filled with influence and not ums and uh. It's no excuse. This was a sheep watcher. You get that? A sheep watcher who someone spoke to And when when David spoke, he didn't go. But I don't know what to say. He spoke well. He spoke well. You get that? This was not a college graduate. This was a least favored son who kept sheep and was perceived as ready to lead. Are you ready? When placed in the presence of someone to speak the power and the influence of the Lord because of what he's done in your life. This is not David the king. This is David the kid who watched sheep. I've seen the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. He's skillful in playing. He's a man of valor. He's a man of war. He's prudent in speech. And I love this phrase. He is a man of good presence. Now that's the Hebrew word, ish which is the same word that was used to to name Adam, okay? And if you read sort of the Hebrew in Genesis, there's Adam referred to as Ish, and Eve is referred to as Isha, okay? And that literally means he is a man among men, he is a man, that's what it means. He is a man who stands. He is a man that when he walks in the room, a man has entered the room. That's what he's saying, Remember, we're not talking about David the king. We're talking about David the boy. Maybe 17, good guess. Who is, when he walks in a room, somebody's servant said to the king, you'll know when he walks in. You'll know when he comes in. And that never comes from the outside or a great pair of socks. It always comes from the inside. A man of presence. And here's the key phrase. And the Lord is with him. You know what was not mentioned in this whole phrase? A spiritual gift. You know that? Now, one character quality represented there was a spiritual gift. And we use spiritual gifts to try to get us into opportunities or get us out of opportunities, which they were never intended for. But he's waiting for a life ready for opportunity. So let me, uh, I'm gonna skip Daniel. I would just remind you that in Daniel... Those young men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and all these guys were in a place they never chose to be and in a place of slavery. yet their lives lived exemplary leadership lives in a place of slavery, and they became powerful. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it's the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, And her life was one of favor because of the way she lived in preparation. And then in Philippians chapter three, and I apologize for the uh, editing errors there. In Philippians chapter three, Paul talks about how his light, he is a Jew among Jews. He knew the law. He was even a prepared person. Gentlemen, leadership, power, and influence are always the gift of the Lord, but they will never arrive in your life unless there has been the private practice of preparation that's ready for a greater level of influence. I've, I've got to show you this now. Turn your piece of paper over again, and let me show you why I had you write this. And we'll never make it through the notes, but I think they're self-sufficient, but we'll go as far as we can. What I wrote for you is a rip-off from a guy named John Maxwell um, out of this book called The Five Levels of Leadership. I referenced this last year to you. And the reason I I wanted you to see this in line with this, this paragraph I've been sharing with you is because most of us equate leadership with position. And that's why I had you put it on the bottom, okay? Anybody can get a title, and get a position. Okay. You can get a sign on your door that even says you're over the company, but that doesn't mean you're a leader. It just means you have authority. Okay. I can, I have authority over my children, but that doesn't mean I'm leading them. You understand the difference and all of you have people of authority over you, but that doesn't mean they're leading you. Right. Because all of us know what it's like to be told what to do by a position of authority and then to turn around and be careful with this statement. Because when you turn around and say, I'll tell you what, if I was running the show, let me tell you how I'd do it and blah, blah, blah. And the Lord starts working in your life and he starts humbling you and he starts teaching you and in the private heart of preparation, he starts working in you. And one day you find out that just what you said is in your life and then you have to lead or you serve out of position. And most people make a living out of position. And, I, and you might want to write this down. This is straight out of this book. People follow you because they have to. They follow you because they have to. That's why titles are so dangerous. They're so, so dangerous. People follow you because they have to. But we're talking about leadership and power and influence. That's a gift of the Lord predicated on preparation in my life. So the next thing I had you write down, again, this is straight out of John Maxwell's five levels of leadership, but I think it, it, it helps with this quote I'm trying to share with you. This next level is permission. And you might write these words down, people follow you because they want to. And you suddenly earn the permission of people to speak into their lives. You earn it. You earn that position. You earn, the, or you, you earn that permission. Actually, you, you no longer, you're no longer approached as, what's he gonna tell me to do? But you know what? He might tell me something, or she might tell me something that will make my life better. You are, and most of us never make it there. Most of us never make it there. And that's why when we retire, all they give us is a watch, because they can't think of anything better to say. Think about it. Think about it. And that's why when we leave, they're not, we're not missed. Because we don't think about a legacy that we're leaving in people development. The next thing is production that I had you write down and people follow you because of what you've done for them and even for the organization. I would... Um, one of my greatest burdens for our area is how many lives and marriages are being lost as a result of this quote-unquote opportunity in our city. Not a Sunday goes by that I don't meet a young man who walks up to me and says, I'm two weeks on, one week off. I'm three weeks on, one week off. My wife lives in Katy. My wife lives here. She doesn't live with me. We've lost our marriage. What do I do? But I'm making a good living finally. And in in the ears of everyone who might understand this or who might have an opportunity to speak into this, Are you leading in such a way, I use the word leading carefully, that it's ruining families, but increasing bank accounts. And As a result of the way we're leading, they'll have an opportunity to pay good alimony. But they won't have an opportunity to be a family. I ask you, who are you touching in your leadership that needs to hear this? Because if, if what we consider opportunity is coming at the expense of families, I say to you, get ready for the bust because the glory of the Lord will not rest upon that. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you are leading in authority over something that allows that, then what are you doing to protect the souls of the immortals that you lead? As C.S. Lewis said, you have never met a mere mortal. And there are souls in man camps and on continental airline planes flying in on Monday and out on Fridays. And they're working below your floor. And they're working all over your organization. And before you say this is work, Patrick, do you understand? No, I don't understand. Because it's life. And it's leadership. It's leadership. If it's just making a living then why are you even paying attention to the scriptures? This has become a compartment of your life. But you have been entrusted with the leadership of a soul. And when he, do you even know that his wife lives in another city? I'm not saying three weeks on and a week off is bad. I'm just saying, are we understanding the leadership of souls or are we herding people? Herding, and if we are, we're leading by position certainly not by permission. And we're certainly not doing anything productive. And we're certainly not developing people. One last word and then we'll move on. I do believe there's a younger generation who will reject this lifestyle we're starting to breed here. I do believe it. I do believe they will look at it and they will say, forget that. I'm not going to allow you to kill me and to kill my family. It's a bit of a soapbox for me if you can't tell. Like I could just kind of go on, but I'm, li- I'm really just tired of standing at the front and shaking hands with a young man who's strapping and young and well-dressed who starts crying. And he says, I've lost my family. And it happens every week. And he's working, I'm gonna put it this way, for if anybody listens to the podcast, he's working for you. okay? Or he's working for someone the Lord is waiting for you to speak into. They said, we gotta do something about this. I mean, it doesn't mean things slow down, but how do you handle it? How are you handling it? Let's go through a couple of these points. I hope you understand. God is ready to give you leadership, power, and influence. How that's given to you, Matthew chapter 25, will oftentimes be based upon your readied preparation for him to put you into a position of leadership. And I so pray for you, I really do, even in just these words of prayer to you. When you see the opportunity he puts in front of you, that you're on your knees before that moment comes and you begin to just pray, God, you gotta guide my words. I cannot mess this up for your glory. And there's a heavy weight on you. Even if you, I just, I don't wanna leave this. Even if you are the safety guy, and you can't even fathom this. All you're trying to do is keep a guy from losing his hands. But you have a circle of six or eight or 14 that you get to show some slides to. And yet, in your presentation, you're no longer concerned about their eyeballs and their hands. But somehow, in the way you communicate, they understand you're concerned about their soul by the way you teach them to care for their hands and their eyes. There's a difference. There's a difference. Whether the meeting is with three or 300. There's a difference in the way you perceive that. Let's go to the first point here and we'll wrap it up here pretty quick. Just a couple of things. I may just read these to you and say a few words and get to the end. A God-centered servant leadership paradigm requires that I see all work and labor as an act of worship and a display of God's greatness and glory. Nothing we haven't said before, but that's just an understanding of the kind of labor that I do and the kind of work that I do. I'll never forget watching my father-in-law's retirement. Some of you know my father-in-law, Gerald Bowden, and lives here now and uh, with his wife, Julia, my mother-in-law, love him. Any jokes about mother-in-laws do not apply to mine. Um, just fantastic people. And I used to watch him run his company, really did. The funniest thing about running his company, it was with his company, but he was the general manager and uh, ran this division of a company called PACAR, a big international organization. Um, when I was dating his daughter, who was no longer just his daughter. She's my wife. But um, about 1130, at least once a week, he'd come into the den where we were watching TV. He would say, the alarms are going off at the factory. Can you go with me to check it out? Well, absolutely. I'll go with you. And it just so happened every time we went to the factory, by the time we got back to the house, Cindy had already gone to bed. And you know, guess what? I had to go home. You know what never happened after we got married? The alarm never went off at the factory again. I promise you that, ever. I was like, what happened to that freaking alarm? So anyways, I remember going to his, um, now some of you are like, that. I have learned something today. I, I That is leadership right there. That is life-giving. So anyways, um, I remember going to his retirement party and I remember employees lining up, thanking him for his investment in their lives. I remember them saying they were fearful of his departure because when layoffs and downtimes came, he was in the factory and he never laid anybody off. I remember them coming to him. They never said, thank you, Gerald. They always hugged his neck. I remember touring the factory with him. By the way, remember when I told you you're always leading? There was a young man who was 20 years old watching and that was me. And so I walked around the factory And I remember going to a corner by all these lathes and machines. Standing there were men who'd been there 32 years who started with my father in law, Gerald, and he was working on those lathes. And they stayed there. That's what they wanted to do. And they shook his hand and said, Thank you for leading us all around that factory. There wasn't a place in the factory we went that people didn't thank him for his leadership in their lives. You're leading somebody. You're leading somebody. And he worked for the glory of the Lord. And he prayed over those employees, a publicly held company. And he blessed them and he shepherded them. And they appreciated it. And every time, they didn't just give him a watch. They hugged his neck and they cried. And they said, what are we gonna do in your departure? So how are you leading the one who rides in the truck with you or the 1,000 whose checks you sign? How do you work? Number two, a God-centered servant leadership paradigm requires that I see all people as beings created in the image of God of great worth and deserving my wholehearted service that contributes to their inherent value and personal growth. Every person created in the image of God deserving of my service. Again, I say this again. Who knows? I may end up in business again someday and get to practice what I preach I wish I'd known. But everybody I saw in business was a competitor to be crushed, not a person to be served. How do you see them? Hopefully, you're past that. But I always saw them as competitors to be crushed or customers to be had rather than souls to be invested in. Positional leadership takes seriously his title on his card only for his benefit. Servant leadership rejects a title but never passes a soul. There's a difference. There's a difference. And I didn't know that difference. And Jesus says to James and John, you know what? The position is not what matters, but are you willing to give your life away? Because that's what I'm calling you to. So there's a difference. James and John asked for a position. Jesus said, "Mm, anybody can inquire a position. What I'm asking for is leadership. And are you willing to die for that? Oh, gentlemen, you lead someone today. You lead someone today from the moment you walk out of this place. The way you say thank you to the lady at Stripes who you had to stand in line behind 16 other people who decided now was the opportunity to do all their lottery tickets. Okay, like that needs its own line. Okay, or I need my free stuff because you're taking my time. Anyways, so, but, but I'm gonna ask them, how do I perceive those three souls in front of me that just bought a a package of Newports and a tomato juice beer at five o'clock and a lottery ticket. Get out of my way or what do you see in my countenance as I stand in line? You lead someone. Number three, the God-centered servant leadership paradigm requires that I first think in terms of the elevation and betterment of others as my primary duty. A radical, listen to this, and I'll probably finish here. A radical defense of the faith. That's Jude chapter three, where he writes to the church and he says, I must defend the faith. So a radical defense of the faith and theology cannot occur without this first calling of serving and growing others being first in our duties. Now, I read that fast, but let me read this quote to you. It's not on your paper. Mm, Do I want to do that? No, let's just read number four so I can say I did it. A God-centered servant leadership paradigm understands that a listening audience is earned by actions rooted first in love, service, and sacrifice. So you take those two together. What I just told you is, if we truly want to witness to our culture then something about the way we live out our witness is much more valuable than how we badger people with our witness. You see, I can, this was so well stated by Jay Mayo last night, I can have knowledge, I can have information, but it might turn into knowledge, but if it is not synthesized with wisdom and a way of life, my message will be rejected. That's why revivals don't work anymore because we're not people of service outside the revival and nothing's been revived in us in the way we work. We compartmentalize our lives. Gentlemen, if we wanna earn the ear of people in culture today, I submit to you the greatest revival that must occur is in the way you work. Henry Blackaby, years ago, I was sitting in front of him with a group of people at the, the Billy Graham place called The Cove. I don't know if anybody have you ever been there. It's an amazing place. The most amazing thing about it is in the lobby, there's an ice cream machine on 24 hours a day. It is amazing. Chocolate and vanilla at all hours. You're like, thank you, Billy. Because I asked him, I was like, why is that there? Because like, Billy Graham loved ice cream. I'm like, that is a man of God. But Henry Blackaby, in this moment, he said he believed the greatest, the next great awakening was gonna occur in business and the military. Which is interesting because the military still remains one of the places where fear of God is still respected and the government continues to attack it. He said business and military. So let me ask you something. In your business, are you becoming a conduit of revival? And it doesn't come because you have a cross hanging on your wall. And it doesn't come because you have some sticker on the back of your car. I submit to you it comes in the way you give your life away in leadership. And someone says, I'll pay attention to that. I'll listen to that. There's something about that. And that is servant leadership that is typified by men who give their lives away. I wrote this in my notes. The marketplace is filled with conservative Christians, but is it filled with servant leaders giving their lives away to make others better. The marketplace is filled with conservative, evangelical, right-wing Christians and liberal left-wingers, if we want to be fair. But is it filled with servant leaders? You see, James and John wanted the position that came from who they thought they were. Jesus said, that's irrelevant. What side you're on? Left or right? That's kind of funny actually that Jesus said right and left. So. But he said, but are you willing to give your life away? He rewrote the paradigm. And I'm asking you guys, are you willing to rewrite the paradigm? Are you willing by the way you serve realizing you just wrote down the names of six people 40 minutes ago that you've led and I ask you how you're leading them. Are you serving or are you positional? Because Jesus wrote a paradigm that has to change the way we lead. I hope, I honestly hope this haunts you. I hope as you walk through the hallway today, some of you men have great positions of influence. And I hope as you walk by offices that you, I, I have this small little organization called Stonegate and it terrifies me because we have young people that work for us and they keep getting younger. I'm not getting older. They're getting younger and, and they keep getting younger and lives are at stake and cars are purchased and houses are bought. and You know what I'm talking about. But what's your investment? What is your slavery towards their growth? Because Jesus says that is leadership let's pray together. Father, thank you for these men. I know you have um, burned this repetitive message into my heart, so I I hope and pray that it hasn't been simply repetition to the hearts and lives of these men. I do believe with all of my being, um, I'm not passionate about it. I hate that phrase, Father. I just know it. There's no such thing as randomness in what's happening in our region. It is not random. There is nothing random taking place if we believe who you are as described in your word. So there is a great responsibility upon us. A gift, as Matthew chapter 25 talks about. Talents to be invested. I specifically pray for the men in this room who have quietly sat there seeing no influence in their lives. Some will possibly go through most of this day alone with a GPS but at some point their life will intersect with someone and may it not escape them that they are a leader. But there are others in this room who hold great positions, but not necessarily leadership yet. And may all of those see their position as an opportunity to lead for a greater cause, for the glory of God and for the blessing of others and for their joy, finally. And may we begin to, Live this leadership out in such a way that we're actually committed to redefining the culture of this city. A region that is stifling and dangerous to the soul right now. But possibly you have gathered us together to be an army that marches against that killing of the soul. May these men preach well today for they will preach. It's not a phrase, it's not a bumper sticker. They will preach today one way or another. And may it be truth and the glory of God that is preached well from the pulpit of their life. This, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here. Have a great, great day.